Anytime I wasn't with you, I was with another man sleeping with another man. <laughs> the rum is hitting. I love dark and stormies. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dawson, look, there's your mom. Back to you, Bob. Accept your perfect life, Dawson. Hello and welcome to Back to You, Bob, a Dawson's Creek podcast with Christina and Micah. That's us. Let's jump right in. The episode this week is called Hurricane and our Dawson's Drink of the Week is a dark and stormy. It is two ounces of dark rum, three ounces of ginger beer, and a squeeze of lime. I prefer a ginger ale, but ginger beer is what it calls for. Yeah, I will be honest. This is not my favorite drink. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but at least you know when I'm being honest. Dark and stormy yeah. is not my drink. I feel like there's a time and a place for a dark and stormy for me, and it's usually like on a beach or something. I feel like the time and place for me is never and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, we're here. We're, we're drinking it. This was such a good episode. In rewatching it, there were so many sequences where I was like, oh my God, this is burned into my brain. So good. And this episode starts off as established, like all episodes do, with Dawson and Joey in his room watching a movie. and. They start off this episode by watching Twister, and then they're deciding which movie to watch next, The Poseidon Adventure or Towering Inferno. And the reason they're on a disaster movie kick is because there's a hurricane coming. They get the news that school's canceled the next day, and they're very excited. And the big topic of conversation between Dawson and Joey is Joey asks... Did Dawson confront his mom with the news that she's having an affair and he knows about it? And he says that he did not. So with this hurricane approaching, Dawson's dad gets the idea to lock down with Jen and her grandmother. So they all lock down together and the storm hits and Dawson overhears his mother on the phone with Bob. And that's when he lets her know that he knows about her affair with her co-anchor. And this leads to Gail coming clean to Mitch while they're all locked down together. Mitch freaks out and he yells and he screams and he breaks things. Now, meanwhile, Jen is defending Gail to Dawson and she tries to get Dawson to kind of see his mom's point of view. And so he makes a very salty comment about how she was promiscuous in New York and how, of course, she would defend his mother because birds of a feather. And this leads to a huge blow up between Dawson and Jen. There's also a lot of tension between Joey and Dawson because all he's been doing lately is complain about his mother. And he's not really taking into account that Joey doesn't have a mother because hers passed away. So Joey feels like Dawson's kind of taking this all for granted and they get into a huge fight. So once again, Dawson is kind of having a lot of drama with these three women in his life and he's kind of on the outs with all of them. So Mitch is really baffled because as established, he and Gail have an amazing sex life. They have sex constantly. So he kind of asks her you know, why would you do this? And she confesses that she got everything she ever wanted in her life. She set out with all these goals and she achieved them all. But with that perfection comes a lack of desire or a lack of want. And being a career woman, she just decided she just really wanted to want again. But now that she's imploded her life, the only thing she wants is to kind of go back to the way things were. So later, Dawson and Jen have a conversation after their fight where she talks about how she lost her virginity. And it turns out that she lost her virginity in a really horrible way. 
She was drunk and taken advantage of when she was 12. So she's not some promiscuous big city girl. She was sexualized way too young. And we find out that that's why she's really in Cape Side. That's why her parents shipped her here to stay with Grams. And it's kind of the most honest conversation they've had up to that point. They're being their true selves for the first time. She's confessed this secret past and he's kind of said, I'm horrible. I've been terrible. I've been selfish. I'm so sorry. And so they kind of decide to make up and reset and start over. And he also makes up with Joey later and they decide to just kind of revert to when they were kids and kind of stop dealing with all this adult drama. And for one night, one day, let's just kind of be how we used to be. So they reclaim their youth by reenacting the third act of Jaws, which is something they did as they were kids. But meanwhile, across town, Pacey and his brother, Doug, who is a deputy, are locked down with Miss Jacobs, who Pacey's been having this scandalous affair with. And throughout the episode... Pacey and Tamara Jacobs, they're just kind of finding that their affair is getting a little harder to cover up. Tamara and Pacey's brother are kind of flirting and it leads to this huge fight between Pacey and his brother. And when they're alone, Tamara kind of warns Pacey, we're getting a little sloppy. This needs to end soon. And then as a little runner in the episode, Grams seems to have a big issue with Joey's sister, Bessie, and her boyfriend, Bodie, being unmarried and pregnant and also in an interracial relationship. So that closes out the episode. Everything's left in tatters emotionally with our characters, and the town of Cape Side is kind of also physically in tatters. So good. Yeah. This episode was really, really good. I feel like we've said this about the last couple of episodes, but every episode just propels things so much further. Like there's no wasted episodes in this first season. It's just like... They didn't hold anything. They really fired on all cylinders in every episode. We find out that Dawson's mom is having an affair in episode one and by episode five. It's all out there. Yeah. The writing was so good. This episode was written by Kevin Williamson and Dana Barada. Kevin Williamson, we've obviously spoken about many times. Dana wrote seven episodes of this series. This was her first TV writing job. She had written a movie prior, but she went on to write and co-EP on tons of things. Good Behavior, Jessica Jones, Private Practice. She sadly passed away in 2020 after a long battle with ovarian cancer. She was 59, which is so sad, but she had a pretty incredible career. I don't know why her name always sticks out as one of the names I remember seeing all the time in that like italicized font. I always remember the name Dana Barada. Yeah, totally. So this episode was directed by Lou Antonio, who has a wild career. He has 87 director credits on IMDb and 57 actor credits. And Hmm. he's like 89 years old right now. He's been in the industry forever. His first directing credit on IMDb is from 1967 and his first acting credit is from 1960. So he was just kind of popping around, acting here, directing there. He directed four episodes of Dawson's Creek total And then I just kind of cherry picked the things that stuck out to me that I like, but he directed some Partridge Families, he directed Diagnosis Murder, a couple Picket Fences, West Wing, Felicity, CSI, and Boston Legal was his last credit, which was like 2006, 2007. But he just has this wild career. Like I am so fascinated looking it over and I wish that I could have a conversation with him. He also seems to have an Instagram, which I don't know if I believe. Like he was an actor in Cool Hand Luke. Like what? Okay. So I just saw that Cool Hand Luke too. I think that's his Twitter handle. It's really 
pretty crazy. Yeah, a lot of this episode relied on and revolved around the tension in the lockdown between like Dawson and his mom, Dawson and Joey, Dawson and Jen, Grams and Bessie and Bodie. It was kind of like a um, pressure cooker. The tension was palpable in almost every scene. So props to the directing. I mean, in the script, it was funny. Joey was very funny this episode. It was funny. There are so many, like you said, high tension moments between Mitch and Gail, which we'll get into. Mm -hmm. But there are some really light moments too. The dramatic dialogue really hit and the comedic dialogue was really funny. So Joey's known about the affair for a few episodes and Gail's known that Joey knows for a few episodes. And she sits down next to Joey after she finds out that Dawson knows and Gail just wants to curse. So she... She's like, what the? F-? No, and she says, she, I wrote this down. It's such a good interaction. He says, there are so many things I have to say right now, and they all include the F word. And Joey says, well, don't hold back on my account. I've heard it all before. And Gail says, I'm supposed to set an example. And Joey says, I would stick to the F word. Yeah. Like the zingers are kind of starting to come out. Like Joey's personality is, because up until now, she's been kind of a realist but now she starts to get kind of witty and acerbic so Mm -hmm. that's coming out now i feel like those first few episodes she was still very grounded and she was a realist and whatever but she was so catty kind of towards jen and like now she's kind of like eased into it jen's here to stay whatever like we're getting more of what she'll be for the series which is really cool yeah i think this is the episode where like the writers kind of started figuring out what the show was and the actors kind of also did too they kind of figured out what their characters were I want to ask your opinion on our guest cast shout out. As I was watching, I was like, oh, it should be Doug, Dylan Neal. He's like the f- new character of the episode. He, I think mm-hmm. he's a good, strong character. But I feel like we can't not give it to, I love the double negative, Mary Margaret Humes and John Wesley Shipp. Like this episode, they're both amazing in this episode. And I know we've talked about them before, but they're everything. We've definitely gotten into Mitch and Gail a lot. I know. I mean, this was an amazing episode for Gail. And I feel like, I mean, we could do whatever we want. Why not? We should just play. We should play in full the two minute clip where she confesses to the affair. Okay. Something wrong, Dawson? Something's very wrong. Mitch, there's something that you... I mean, there's something that I have to tell you. I'm going to leave you two alone. Uh, No, Dawson, we're family. This falls on all ears. Hun, what is it? Uh, Wow, where do I begin? Um, You know that I love what I do that I've always wanted to be, a Diane Sawyer or or a Barbara Walters. Um, Mitch, it's, it's 20 years later, and I am never going to be Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters. I know that. I mean, I gave up that dream. It, it's okay, I've accepted it. I mean, I still would like to be like a, a Jenny Jones or a Sally Jesse Raphael. That's wrong, Gail. Uh, I mean, who watches those shows anyway? I mean, they're all the same. Somebody does somebody wrong, and then they go on TV with their IQ of three and bitch and moan about it for the whole world to see. And now I know this is a judgment, but I have always prided myself on not being that kind of person. 
you know, the kind of person that would wind up on a panel of, of cheaters and lowlifes and, 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 and liars. I mean... What are you saying? What I am saying is, for the past two months, for the past 62 days, every time that I've come home late, every time that I've made an excuse to leave this house, every time that I haven't been with you, I have been with someone else, another man, ha having sex with another man. Now I won't be so insulting as to offer an apology. This is, after all, on the other side of forgiveness. I just thought that you should know, Mitch. Mitch. Because of the dialogue, the dialogue, people, the dialogue. Yes, I agree with you. Well, let's give them both a shout out. They're not guest cast, but they're main cast. They're... But still, this can be just be the cast shout out. It was a it was a great Mitch and Gal episode. Not that our podcast needs to be me versus you all the time, but I know that you're very Gail in this episode, and I'm like very Mitch in this episode. Not from the stance, obviously Gail is wrong, but just from like the acting perspective, because there is so much ADR in this episode. It's mm -hmm. incredible. Like I would say, fifty percent of this episode is ADR. And the fact that John Wesley ship, I'm thinking specifically of the car moment, which we'll get to, but like all of that was re-recorded and it's amazing. I have more to say on that during our past versus present segment. But while we're on the topic of Dylan Neal, yes. I think it's important to note that Dylan Neal is a soap actor. He was big on Bold and the Beautiful before this. And he went on to, he was actually on a WB show called Hyperion Bay with Mark Paul Gossler and like oh. Sidney Penny. For those who don't know, I, I came out wanting to do soaps. I'm a very big soap guy. So the girl who plays Miss Jacobs, Leanne Hunley, huge Days of Our Lives soap star. And John Wesley Shipp was also a big soap star. I believe he was on As the World Turns. And now Dylan Neal from Bold and the Beautiful. So I just like that they took chances on soap stars because as an actor, when you star in soaps, you're kind of stigmatized, which is so unfair because... Back in those days, you did like 70 pages of dialogue a day and they deserve props. Yeah. So I feel like that needs to be mentioned because it can't be coincidence that they have three soap stars on the first five episodes of the show. Totally. I looked at his IMDb as well and he has like a million credits. I think he has like 95 acting credits. He went on and did a bunch of Hallmark movies as well, which is like its own genre. We think maybe Dylan was in Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, he was. He played Dakota Johnson's dad or something. We love a Dakota Johnson moment. I think she's yeah. my number one film girl crush. We were, I was talking wow. about this the other day at work. Can I just go on a rant? Mm -hmm. So the big thing in the Bravo universe this weekend was that Tom Sandoval had an affair on Ariana with Raquel, one of his castmates. Whatever. Maybe you care, maybe you don't. But I feel like watching this episode, I watched the episode twice today. Gail's affair just hit different because of what's going on with Tom Sandoval, Ariana, oh, and Raquel. Like you were already primed for a scandal? I just, the infidelity just hit differently. Do you know what's been going on with this? No, I, to be honest, I've definitely seen references to it on the internet and I don't know who those people are. So I, okay, I didn't mean so to me. So let's say Vanderpump Rules is airing season 10 right now, which I think is a fact. So Tom and Ariana have been together for about nine seasons, eight seasons. 
And there's a girl, Raquel, on the show, and she came onto the show dating one guy, whatever. She's broken up with people. She's been with a few people, but on the season that's airing now, she's with Tom Sandoval's best friend. And she's become very good friends with Ariana and Sheena. You know, there's clicks on the show, but she's fallen in with this one click. And so it came out this week that Raquel is having an affair with Ariana's boyfriend of 10 years they're not married but they might as well be you know and so they're all cast members on the show but like they're kind of they're like an incestuous group so this this one this one group is really tight and so now the kind of the things that are emerging is they've been having an affair for like seven months they have secret necklaces that was kind of a symbol to each other they each have like matching necklaces and they he snuck her into the house that he owns with ariana when ariana was sleeping and when Ariana went home for her oh grandma's God. funeral, he was sleeping. He was sneaking her in, and Raquel is like on record being like, "Ariana is my best friend. Like she's the one who really embraced me, like into this group." And there's so much more to the story, but I just want all Bravoholics to know <laughs> I connected with this infidelity story more today because in the zeitgeist, Raquel and Tom Sandoval are having an affair. On Ariana, someone out there is going to get it. I know some. I know there is a, a Venn diagram of Dawson's Creek, Vanderpump Rules, Queens of Bravo. He'll get it. Queens of Bravo Plus. As someone who does not have any idea what you're talking about, other than what you just told me, <laughs> I think it hits different when, like, when Mitch says it's Bob, isn't it? When you think about it, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's that person that I know and who is around me and who, ooh, that's just different. It's not Chills. like you went out and had like a random one night stand. It's like, ugh. And what I love is when she says, for the last 62 days, for the last two months, when I mm. wasn't with, oh, there's something about it. Just like, oh my God, I could like cry talking about what is wrong with me. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about the way she says it. It's just, oh my God. Anytime the- I wasn't with you, I was with another yes. man sleeping mm. with another man. <laughs> The rum is hitting. I love dark and stormies. <laughs> past versus present. I have a big past versus present. Oh, what? So we've t- we've touched on it a little bit. I understand Gail so much more now. And this is something you and I have been texting about. I love Gail. But at the time, of course I hated Gail. Like, of course I hated Gail. I was so team Mitch. And I mean, I clearly am still. But her freaking soliloquy about how she like oh that that confession about how she's not as far along in her career as she wanted to and how it's 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 not just the i'm not where i want to be in my career it's also just her rambling when she really has to confess something i Mm -hmm. there's something about her stalling it there's something about that that's just so real and there's this phrase they just want to get caught that you don't really understand as a 15 year old watching it but now maybe uh, you know, I'm I'm turning 40 in a month. Oh my god. <laughs> but like it's like you're doing a bad thing. You don't know how to confess it. Maybe you want to get caught because you can't confess it. And it doesn't even like, seem like she really wants to be doing it. She just kind of wants she needs like something to shake up her life. And I know something you've talked about in previous episodes of our podcast is how brazen she is. And you can't believe how brazen this she is, is this episode is unbelievable. She has a conversation with Bob on the phone on the steps of her home that mm-hmm. is filled with people mm-hmm. and she's like come back in one piece ha <laughs> she's like making kissy noises like she's so clearly on the phone with a lover mm-hmm. and Dawson is standing at the top of the steps listening she wanted to get caught for sure yeah 
But you know what's ringing truer in this episode that didn't ring? I hated Jen season one. Did you like her this time around? So I'm kind of understanding more now why I hated her. So Jen and Joey each got into a fight with Dawson and they take refuge on the front porch. And Jen asks Joey, do you think Dawson has a pistol or do you think he has a rifle? And Joey is like, I know we're not around it. And then at the end of the scene, Joey says, based on height, weight, feet, and hand size, I would say that Dawson is slightly above average. And Jen says, so you have thought about it. And Joey's like, Katie Holmes gives this weird, like, half crooked smile, which is like such a signature Joey thing. Mm -hmm. There was something about Jen in that scene that I realized I was like, this is why I hate her. This is why I hated her. I also hated Jen, but in this rewatch, I really liked Jen. And I felt like that scene on the porch with Joey was really cute and like sincere. And they were just kind of having their own little moment, which again, that was all ADR. So maybe some of the emotion was lost in the re-record, but I don't know. I just kind of feel like she's, she stays pretty level-headed and like she keeps confronting Dawson, even though she feels like he's mad at her. Like she's just trying to resolve things. We have to get into your boy, Pacey. What a weird episode for him. Yeah. So Pacey's brother is a deputy of police. We find out that his dad is the chief of police. Yeah. I love the witters. I love all the witters. So Pacey's going around town and helping his brother moving flags off the beach and doing all this stuff. And they end up at Tamara's house because she needs help boarding things up. She doesn't like storms. She's from the city. We come to find out. And they end up all on lockdown together, the three of them. From the very beginning when it's just Doug and Pacey on the beach, Pacey is jabbing Doug about being gay and in the closet. And he's like, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be gay. And Doug is like, I swear to God, I'm going to kill you. I'm not gay. But then when they're all in lockdown later, Doug goes outside to check on a noise and Pacey tells Tamara that his brother is a closet case. So when Doug comes back in, he and Tamara are talking about movies that they like and yada, yada, yada. And Doug loves Broadway plays and Barbara Streisand and all of these soundtracks. And they're like having this connection about stuff that people at the time found stereotypically gay. So she just assumes that he's gay based on what Pacey told her and his love for show tunes. (laughs) He asks her out and she says, what wouldn't be an actual date because you're gay? And Doug is like, I'm not gay. Pacey tell her I'm not gay and Pacey won't. So he pulls his gun on Pacey. And that is another moment from this episode where I was like, oh my God, this is like a visceral memory. Like it gave me like transported me back to 1998. I mean, thank God a gay man wrote this because there was definitely some like, I mean, I don't get offended, but there was definitely some stereotyping. There are a lot of stereotypes. You know, Pacey definitely does the gay voice. Like, oh, Dougie. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. lot, there's lots of that. And I mean, I enjoy I I thought it was funny. But another thing that we get confirmation on is Tamara is divorced. She has a dysfunctional ex who lives in Manhattan. Yes. She lived in Manhattan. The island wasn't big enough for the both of them. So that's why she made the move. Yes. Yeah, so to give context, when they're boarded up in lockdown... Doug wants to play a game called If, and the game is if you were stranded on an island, you could bring one thing, what would you bring, et cetera, et cetera. Doug says, if you could live in any city in the world, where would you live? And she said, easy, New York, my hometown. And he says, what made you move? And she says, my dysfunctional ex, you know, like the city wasn't big enough for the both of us. Yeah, we definitely got to know Tamara more in this episode, and it was interesting to see her in her little beach house. Who knew? 
Oh my God. Her house is my dream. She lives in this little beach bungalow, literally looks out on some seagrass in the ocean. We'll see it more next episode too. She might not have for long. Spoiler alert. Can I just say, the woman who plays Tamara, she's actually back on Days of Our Lives, which is kind of a big deal because she, the character she played had oh, wow. her heyday in the 80s. Like, I just love watching her on Days and then watching her on Dawson's. And You're But anyway, she hasn't... all Leanne Hunley all the time? <laughs> I'm getting all Leanne Hunley all the time. And I love it. Like, she just, she's just such a fun actress to watch. I can't explain it. I wrote down so much stuff. The first thing that I wrote down is that Dawson has a framed picture of Steven Spielberg on his bedside table. I noticed that too. That is so weird, the things that we notice. So the the episode opens with, because Dawson always has his window open, that's how Joey gets in and out. A picture frame blows off his nightstand and Joey picks it up. And... I've wa- I watched this episode like four times in preparation for this, and I didn't notice it until the very last time that it's a framed picture of Steven Spielberg. Okay, did you notice how much wicker furniture the Learys have? Like, what is going on there? Did you, like, raid a garage sale? Like, I, I just don't understand why he has so much wicker furniture. It's just weird. I didn't notice that, but I did notice that Bodie and Fessy's house has this one painted rocking chair, and it's like, very clearly hand painted it's like a you know like a standard rocking chair but it's painted like red white green blue like it's like very it has polka dots on it and it's just like we're eclectic we do what we can like this is our cool hip chair and our cool mismatched house so it's in the forefront of one of the shots indoors this episode but in looking at the other episodes and the episodes to come that chair is on the lawn, in the house, it moves all over the place. It's so funny to me. Here's one thing about the Potters. They're poor. They don't ask questions. Like, as you've... <laughs> we don't ask questions. As you have said. We, we put the furniture so, wherever we need it. Today, we need the rocker outside. <laughs> Tomorrow, so we need the thing. rocker in the kitchen. Why is Bessie... Like, we need to get wardrobe on this podcast. Costumes. Why is Bessie always wearing overalls? Because she's pregnant. But and like, pregnant other ladies things. have to pee every five seconds, and it is the least practical outfit for a pregnant lady to wear. So up until now, Mitch has been painted as an idealistic dreamer. That's where Dawson kind of gets it. Gail is more of like the practical, like, I have a career. I'm kind of the breadwinner. Mitch is kind of like his head's up in the clouds. He is planning a pitch to get investors to back his restaurant called The Kelp. And the kelp is like an underwater cape kind of themed restaurant. And he's been building this model to show investors for like five episodes. And he trashes it when Gail confesses. And it's just so sad. Like a little diagram that represents all of his hopes and dreams. Yeah, like a little diorama. That's what I meant, diorama. Yeah, it's just so sad when he trashes it. And then Dawson's picking it up. And I'll be honest, I don't understand the conversation that Grams and Dawson have. Yeah, so after all this takes place, Grams comes in and Gail is crying and she gets flashlights or whatever because the power had just gone out. So you kind of know that Grams knows that something is happening within the house. And then Grams comes in and Dawson is cleaning stuff up and Grams says to him, you know, storms are going to come. It's kind of like a weathering the storm talk. 
But she says to him, I wrote it down. She says, my husband always used to say, if you want to see the rainbow, you have to stay in the rain, which is obviously, you know, literal and figurative. But then when she says to him at the end of the scene, she says, from what I've seen of you, Mr. Leary, you're going to need an umbrella. Meaning, what does that mean? There's a lot of storms like I think, coming or what is or that? There, yeah, there's a lot going on and he needs to learn to withstand the storms. But the, my takeaway from what she said is she says, forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts the Lord has given us. Mm-hmm. And to me, she was speaking, I thought, about Gail. Because she walked in on Gail crying and she could tell something was amiss with Gail. But he took it as Jen. Because at the end of the episode, he has this big moment where he forgives Jen and they kind of like decide to have their take two or whatever. Yeah. It, Grams is weird in this episode. <laughs> Grams was... She A was lot. Awful. Yeah. So the guy who plays Bodie, Obi and Defo, we also need to give him a shout out. So he is a star. I mean, he's amazing. Whenever he's on screen, you just kind of like lean in, you know? Mm-hmm. So when the storm is coming, Bodie and Bessie are fighting over whether, if their child is a boy, whether he should be circumcised or not. Bodie wants him to be circumcised. Bessie thinks that it is mutilation. They go to the Leary house, there's lockdown, and they kind of say, we don't even know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. And Graham yeah. says... We don't even know if it's going to be black or white. That is so horrible, which yeah. is like, I don't know. I don't know what they were doing with her in this episode, but she was pissing me off. Well, she like, she doesn't want to be there, first of all. Mm-hmm. It's very clear that they're like going there just because Mitch insists. And they write in the little bit about, oh, I hear your grandfather's back in the hospital. Yeah, it's just for tests. No big deal. <laughs> so they could justify them going to their house. Right. But you could tell she doesn't want to be there. She kind of grunts at Bodie. Like when they're introduced, it's like, this is Bessie and she says hello. And then she goes, and this is Bodie. And she goes, hmm, like really rude. Then she makes the comment about black or white. The whole episode, Bodie is very actively pushing against Grams. Like Grams is pushing against the two of them and Bodie's pushing back. But mm-hmm. Bessie has decided to do like the whole kill him with kindness, like giving her grace kind of thing. So she says the black and white thing. I forget what Bodie says, something like, well, would you have a problem depending? And Grams goes, I have a problem with children raising children. Like she flips it to be not an issue of the black or white. Mm-hmm. It's the issue of them being too young and unmarried and like raising this child. I think that was supposed to be a reveal where you think Grams hates them because they're interracial and unmarried. And she kind of says, but doesn't she? I think. I, I don't know. I don't know. It might be their age. It's hard to say. So when Graham says, we don't even know if the baby's going to be black or white, Bodie is ready to like, like Bodie's ready to, yeah. And Graham says, it's not a judgment. It's just an observation. And which mirrors a line that Jen used earlier on Dawson when Jen is like, you haven't spoken to me since you found out I was promiscuous. And he says like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm just busy. And she's like, we haven't, things are different. It's not a judgment. It's just, Hmm. an observation so it was a cute little grams and jen using the same verbiage kind of a thing i didn't catch that something in general that i noticed like i used to as a teen loved the parents storyline just as much as i love the kids storyline and as someone who works on kids tv teens television a lot of the notes you get from executives is like kids don't care about parents Hmm. but like i did i cared a lot like, they don't even want you to infuse those storylines into your scripts? 
they just kind of want any parent storyline to involve the kids or or parents don't share scenes with just each other you know the kids mm. have to be in the scenes kind of like a thing like that and it's just kind of interesting i i was very i remember as a kid i was very into the parents oh my god yeah yeah like this storyline and then where it goes with this storyline was like everything I think it's just whatever feels right in the script and the story you have to do. You can't think of like the kids are going to tune out. The kids aren't going to care. I mean, the kids are going to care because they love the show, you know? Yeah. And also Mitch Mitch was Mitch was looking real good in this episode. So after after Gail's confession, he does this really grounded thing, in my opinion, where he's like, looking around and he's like batteries where are the batteries I, I knew i should have gotten more batteries and then he's like the kerosene lamp because again the power had just gone out so he's kind of like fumbling around and looking and there's a moment where she tries to grab his arm and he kind of like knocks her away and he's still deflecting and looking around and she starts to cry and he says don't you cry you don't get to cry and it to me is one of the moments that stands out of this season. Like he said that and I got chills. I was like, oh my God, I remember this moment so well. He like turns on a dime and is screaming at her face. And she does. She kind of like shuts up for a minute and then he leaves and Grams comes in and she starts crying again. But I think one of the reasons that really hits is because Mitch is acting so out of character, but at the same time, it's so justified in that moment that he mm-hmm. is so angry. But we don't we don't really ever see Mitch angry. I can only think of two other instances in the series where Mitch gets angry. Another thing this episode, Gail is very upset that Bob is chosen to cover Hurricane Chris and not her. And her big thing is that she feels like he was chosen to quote her because of the appendage between her legs, I think she says. Yeah. And that's what I found interesting, too, because so her whole argument or her whole um, justification of why she had this affair, he straight up asks her why. It's not like she's rubbing it in his face. And she says her quote is perfection obtained is an uncomfortable state. So basically Mm -hmm. she's saying she has everything that she wants. She says, I have the perfect husband and the perfect job, my dream job. And what does she say about Dawson? Something so. She says the most gifted child. The most gifted child. Okay. Oh, yeah. And a husband who stimulates me, mind, body and soul. That's her whole argument. But then when she was earlier, when she was confessing, she is talking about how she doesn't have the career that she wants. Like she isn't the the high-end type of reporter that she wanted to be. She's kind of in this smaller market and blah, blah, blah. Like she doesn't have the perfect everything. She's just like delusionally telling herself that. The other thing that I can say about this scene is I love the way she looks. She was like a drown rat. She went out into the rain. She sat with Mitch in the car and then she sat outside all night. So we're used to seeing her like perfectly quaffed on air hair and her makeup and stuff. Yeah. And here she's like mascara down her face. Her hair is curly. Like she's just been through the ringer and it just feels really true to life. And that was 1000% as someone who's both of us have sat through a lot of production meetings on TV shows. Oh yeah. That was not an accident. They were like, make her a mess. Mm-hmm. And it plays really well. And that is why the show, because they thought of the little things, you know what I mean? Like they, th- mm-hmm. they took themselves very seriously and it wasn't just like a throwaway. And there's even a shot of Mitch and Gail where Gail is on the screen porch and Mitch is sitting outside the screen. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of to show their separation. Like shout out to Lou Antonio. What a shot. 
Yeah, so good. Gail's a mess, like I said, and Mitch is, like he, in theory, has been out all night. Who knows where he's been? But he comes home in his little usual button down and he just looks good. He looks put together and he looks, he's processing what he's learned, but he's still very put together and she's very clearly a mess and they have this screen between them. I don't know. It's just really well, really well done. So we we would be remiss not to talk about this Jen confession scene. Up until now, what Dawson knows is that Jen has had sex with other people. She's smoked. She's drank. She's not the Spielberg heroine that he has typecast her as in his life. And so he made a reference to her being promiscuous in this episode. And that's why she's defending his mother. So she kind of comes into this last scene very heated. Mm -hmm. And she kind of wants to give him a piece of her mind. And she kind of says, like, shut up. Like, this is my chance. And she says, I lost my virginity when I was 12. An older guy took advantage of me. He got me drunk. And I've had a lot of pregnancy scares. And I was drinking a lot and having blackouts. And eventually her dad caught her having sex in her parents' bed and shipped her off to Cape Side. It's an interesting flip on this image that we've had of her so far, which is this big city girl who's come to Cape Side thinking, these small town losers, I'm from the big city. And she's kind of a victim of the big city because she was... she was... Literally victimized. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad. It is sad. And, she... and it's like the way that she's talking about it, there is not space there. You know, she's talking about her 12-year-old self and how she was taken advantage of too early and all this stuff. But she's, what, 16? 15, 16? Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like the way that she's presenting it, it's like, oh, when I was young. But she's still young, you know? And it's like, I don't know. She needs therapy is what she so needs. So she kind of she says, I'm not the virgin that you painted me as originally. And I'm not the whore that you've painted me as recently. She says, I'm somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And... This is the first episode where he was like, I'm so stupid. Like, I'm so sorry. That's not fair. So he really, he literally says to her, like, what I did to you was irredeemable. And if you'll still have me, I'm here. So this is where Dawson and Jen's relationship, they actually kind of have like a real moment. Yeah. Because up up until now, it's just been him like putting on a pedestal and it's been very fake. And I agree. Like, 100%. Artificial. This is yeah like the first time where I feel like Dawson is a real human being and Jen is completely honest with him and she lays it all out on the table. And it was good that she told him to shut up because he was going to apologize to her and maybe it all wouldn't have come out. But she was like, no, I'm on a roll. Like, let me just get this out. And then he was like, I hear you and I see you and I've been an asshole and I would like to do this again under one stipulation. And she says, what? And he goes, if you'll have me. This was a good moment for him and like a really true grounded moment, not like a classic Dawson trying to create something perfect moment. The only thing that I hated is he goes, take two as they're hugging. I, <laughs> I hate him. He's such a nerd. Again, but what I've said about Dawson, and this is the pro stance I will take, he really tries to see the best in people, but he also tries to be the best version of himself. So it's not like an unfair, it's not a one-sided stance. But do you think that that's because he doesn't ever face any adversity so he can be this kind of sheltered good version of himself? Yeah. And his Turning. delusion is that yeah. everyone else can do the same when obviously they can't. Yeah, I think to use a word that I don't know if it was in the zeitgeist in 1998, 
he's kind of privileged and he's kind of coming to terms with like life is just kind of flawed yeah life is messier than he's been led to believe life is messy life is not a spielberg movie it's maybe like a blank movie i don't know enough about movies to say (laughs) it's an m night Shyamalan. oh my god (laughs) what's the twist what's the twist to go back to pacey and tamara so they're playing this if game and he says if you had to do your life over again, what would you have done? She says, I would not have married a fat, abusive stockbroker. And he says, well, if my life were different, I would be older so I could tell the world who I'm in love with. And there's that moment on the porch where it's the same moment where they're putting stuff away. And he says, if you were trying to make me jealous, flirting with my brother. And she's like, I wasn't. And he's like, well... You don't even have to try that hard. I'm jealous of every guy that's ever been in your field of vision, who's ever known the smell of your hair, who's ever held your body against his. Like, And he's behind her and he's like, has his arms around her and she's kind of melting into him. <sighs> I just love Pacey. Someone quoted that word for word. <laughs> <laughs> and her name rhymes with Miss Dina. So that's the moment where she's like, you know, we're getting sloppy. We need to end this. And he says, tell me that isn't a turn on. But then he says to her, if you could do anything right now, what would it be? Because going back to the if game, she pulls him into her house and slams the door. Sexy. This was definitely the episode, I think, where you're like, everything's going to be different. Because this this is the first episode where like, we can really take Dawson and Jen seriously. Because he's accepted her for who she is. And she was honest. The The Leary family has been imploded. It's also kind of weird. Because like this is the first kind of episode. Where you kind of see Pacey and Tamara. They're they're in that like kind of natural habitat. Like they're in her house. Yeah. They're kind of having moments of comfortability. And casualness. Like this is where their relationship really takes place her house like i can't really be seen together too much in public because it's a crime (laughs) literally i really just love how it's an episode about a hurricane and this episode did what a hurricane does which is like come in and kind of whip everything up and left everything kind of a mess and like kind of catastrophic speaking of i'm sure they just had big fans but the wind was so convincing (laughs) in this episode like on the beach, it was windy. At the in the yard, it was windy. In the on Tamar's porch, it was windy. Like yeah. So what what department is that? Is that props or uh, no? Effects? It's special effects. Yeah. Honestly, this is what the show did. The little details that the show leaned into gave it a sense of relatability. Yeah. I just want to say I'm going to manifest this. I okay. truly believe we will get Gail on this podcast oh dream and this will be like the episode we talked to her the most about i feel music moment of the week so this is a weird episode in terms of music you know they must have they must have put a lot of their budget into the production of the Mm. storm or just didn't feel like it was appropriate like it's such an emotional episode i wanted to give a shout out hold on oh my god i'm holding my pearls I wanted to give a shout out to Adam Fields, who is the composer of the series, because this episode is carried by score. Like, it's like the score is there and it carries you along, but it doesn't intrude where like the usual Dawson's needle drops, as we call them, source cues, hit you in the face. 
right? Like it's the end of the world as we know it by REM, which is in this episode. It's there to make a statement. And this episode just kind of needed something to build the tension and bring you along, but not overstep the drama because it was so good without music. So kudos to Adam Fields. I love that because as we have discussed, you come from the post-production world, which is everything that takes place after the episode is shot. And I come from the world of writing, which is everything up until the episode is basically shot. So we kind of see things from that pre-production, post-production kind of standpoint. And that's so interesting you brought that up. I thought it was really well scored and like they carved out the moments that needed support and put music there, but it wasn't too much. Yeah. Uh, There are only two needle drops in this episode. So what do you mean by needle drop? Just for people who don't know. So it basically means a song that you license for the episode, not score. So, I mean, I guess the word comes from an album you drop the needle on the album and the song starts playing like song versus score how would you describe that so score is anything that is written by the composer of the series for the episode itself so usually it is one person in this case adam fields he'll watch the whole thing and have a conversation with the showrunner kevin williamson in this series and they'll talk about where they want music the intention of it they'll speak very mindfully about what we want people to feel And then he'll go away and he'll literally write with his instruments brand new music for the show. That's score. So is it fair to say that score is instrumental and songs are more lyrical? Yeah, I think that there are also instances where a song that you're licensing could be instrumental. Sure. So in this episode, like I said, the score really supports the entire thing. But what's what's the name of the Mark Cohn song? I think it's called Healing Hands. Yeah, Healing Hands by Mark Cohn. It's a really good song, actually, and it's it's very in the Dawson's vibe. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Healing Hands by Mark Cohen kind of plays as like Joey's on, his way, on her way out. And then the song also plays again during the Mitch and Gale scene, like as an outro. It's like a perfect bookend. Yeah. And then the other song in this episode is... It's the end of the world as we know it by R.E.M. And that kind of plays after the opening credits when Cave Side's preparing for the storm. And there's only two songs in this episode. And we'll be uploading both to our Spotify playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say, I was stuck in traffic this week going through a moment where I was listening to our Back to You Bob playlist on Spotify. And... The Pretender song came on and I kind of had a little mini breakdown. Who hasn't had a breakdown in traffic? I don't know. As a 40-year-old, when you go back to mentally 15, who doesn't have a nervous breakdown? Yeah. No, really, who doesn't? Who doesn't? (laughs) Show yourselves. Let me know what medicine you're on. I love our playlist. I love our freaking playlist. We'll link it in the show notes. The other thing that you reminded me of, I feel like this is the first episode where like they've had the big talks about hormones and whatever, and now we're over it. And they're like, you know what? Let's just go back. And they go literally go into the closet and pretend that they're 10 years old or whatever. And it felt nice to have that moment of them like letting go of their hangups and just being like, we're friends and let's have this moment together. I'm so glad you brought it up. I did not want to harp on it too much because I didn't want to see like propagandist, but... <laughs> I love that they have that moment at the end. You and I have talked about this. This episode is not an episode we really think about when we think about Dawson's Creek season one. Well, looking back on it, we're like, this is the this is yes. the episode. 
I did not think about this episode. And then when watching the episode, I was like, this is it. Like, this is the whole this season. This is it. This is it. This is the episode where everything switches. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think so this is the episode where if I'm thinking about this from like a Warner Brothers executive kind of a, I think this is the episode where you look at it and you're like, holy shit, we have a show. Yeah, pick it up. We have a freaking show. And I think it speaks to how good the show is that we could have watched when we were 15 and related so well to the 15 year olds. <laughs> and then you watch it now and you're like, I can relate to the 15 year olds, but like I can relate to the 40 year olds. Dawson even has a quote in this episode where he says, Gail is 40. Yes. Oh my God. He's like, and don't tell me it's because you're 40 and you're bored with your life. And I was like, ooh. I know. And I'm 39. It's just like, there's something about it where I love all the characters rewatching. Whereas before, like, I just love Dawson and Joey and Pacey. Yeah. But now I love them all. And that is such a testament to the show and how well written the show is. Like, yeah. the fact that all of the characters are grounded and relatable to people in that you know season of their life is like pretty incredible i just yeah and like john wesley ship if we could give emmys if we could give if we could give bobbies oh my god (laughs) let's let's do bobbies i'm giving my bobby to john wesley ship this episode let's do like end of the season bobbies i feel i'm in the look on his face when she confesses is like me. So good. I remember when he says, don't you cry, you don't get to cry. That was one moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I remember that so well. And the second is when they're in the car and he he has such a good monologue about the first time that they met and he knew right away that he was in love with her and all of this stuff. And it's like a very mm-hmm. sweet memory, but he turns on a dime and he's like, when you told me what you did, I knew that I wasn't in love with you anymore. It switched just like that. Like, that's basically the... As quickly as I decided that I was in love with you, I'm going to decide right now that it's over. I'm not in love with you anymore. (laughs) Oh my freaking God. It is so good. It is so so good. good. She starts to cry again. And then he says to her, now get out of the car before I physically remove you from it. I would actually say if you have made it to episode five of our podcast and you have not watched any Chase, I think you should watch episode. I think you should watch this episode. I this would I think this episode will would get you into Dawson's Creek actually. And you know everything that you need to know going into it if you've listened. So give it a watch. But wait, going back to that scene in the car. So that's another one where I'm 90% sure that it's all ADR. And like from a technical perspective, they likely had a rain machine outside of the car. And when you're recording sound for an episode of television, that can be really loud and can step on people's lines. And like, it's just a thing where sometimes it's usable, but most times you'll have to pick up some of it, if not all of it, with ADR. I'm pretty sure that his entire monologue is ADR, and it is not difficult to get the words to match your lips on screen. That's not the hard part of ADR. It's one of the hard parts, but it's not the hardest part. The hardest part is to get the intention of the line and like what you were feeling on the day to also come across because you are yeah. often so focused on getting the lips to match because that is the part that people will notice the most but sometimes because you're trying so hard to do that you lose like the performance a little bit because it's like Mm -hmm. not everyone is good at doing both 
or has the time or whatever it is. He is so good in this scene. And the fact that it's probably the second time that he's doing it and recording it in a booth. I love that you're available to offer that post insight. Because it's very different. Like imagine sitting in a car with your TV wife and she's crying and you're there and you're in the emotion and you've prepared for the scene and you're sitting there and you deliver it. And then having to go back and you're in a room by yourself with someone like me who you've probably met like twice at this point because it's the fifth episode of the season. Like, and you have to do it again with the same intention and the same emotion. And it's just really hard to get there. So, but can I just say, this is not my pitch to get John Wesley ship on our podcast, (laughs) but I follow him on Instagram and I think he is a consummate professional. All of his posts are about work in the flesh and i think he is kind of like an old hollywood actor what he posts and what you just said are not incongruent like i i feel like he really he puts his craft first yeah i think that's pretty much it you have anything else that you took note of we need to talk about like our call-in show i want to do an episode where we like we like play recorded messages from you guys where you like you tell us like how good we are how bad we are or your favorite Dawson's memories like I feel like for me what I really want to know is like my friends who I used to watch with on the phone what they remember and what they don't remember and like I'm so interested in that yeah or like how awful we sound or how annoying (laughs) why do you always go to how awful we sound Oh, I don't know. You're always like, tell us how shitty we are and how much you hate us and what you would do differently. But also shout out to your editorial skills because you and I, we we talked for like three hours. Hours. And you're, hours. And you're editing it down to like 40 minute episodes. So props to you. Thank you. And I feel like you just need that shout out. One day I'll put all the hot takes from the cutting room floor into a super cut. So for the next episode, we like to give you guys a little Dawson's drink preview so you can prepare. So this drink will be a Brandy Alexander. You will need brandy, white creme de cacao, and light cream. It's it's kind of like a white Russian adjacent vibe, but you won't know until next week why Brandy Alexander is relevant. The episode is called baby side note we put a lot of thought and effort into like picking the drink like yeah the dark and stormy like i love the dark and stormy by the end of this like <laughs> i didn't i didn't really like it, it but, um, but now i'm like oh it's amazing so just join us just freaking join us on this ride yeah and by the end of the first season you'll have a fully stocked bar but like we also design our podcast where like you don't really need to watch or you need really need to drink or you don't even need to know what's going on. You don't you could you don't even need to listen. You could just have it on in the background. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to listen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I'm excited for next week. So we're just gonna keep heading on through to episode six, which has to do with the baby. No spoilers, but maybe Joey's sister gives birth. We'll see. Or maybe somebody else does that we haven't met yet. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe Joey gives birth. <laughs> Twist. M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. There it is. Tune in next week to episode six. You guys were, were cruising. We'll meet you here yeah. next week.
TTYL outro. Bye. Bye.